for this day. Thank you for being here with us in this room. Thank you for all of your attributes and for just how great you are. We love you and we just pray that you give us open hearts and minds to listen to this message and that your Holy Spirit works through us. And most of all, we want to thank you for Jesus. It's in his son's name we pray. Amen. Maybe if you have a three-year-old, too, or a 26-year-old, whatever, I mean, maybe for you, you've got superheroes all over your house right now. It's Captain America and Iron Man and Captain Planet and all of the superheroes all of the time. And so a few weeks ago, we were at Christmas at my parents' house, and Abel was doing the superhero thing, which, because we're parents of the year, was jumping off the couch like he's a superhero. And we were at my, my parents' house, and my dad was watching nervously, but every time Abel would climb onto the couch... Abel would say, Mommy, watch me. And he'd jump off the couch and say that he was flying and he was a superhero. And my dad started laughing and I said, Dad, what's so funny? And he said, Well, you used to say, Mommy, watch me. And then you got older and you started saying to your friends, Hey, guys, watch me do this. And it got more and more dangerous as it went. <laughs> and I was like, Shh, don't tell anyone else. And it's this, this thing, right? And you probably have heard the old joke that every redneck's last words are, Hey, guys, watch this, right? Like, like, that's the way it goes. I don't think that's funny. Okay, whatever. Um, so, you know, but you know what I'm talking about when I talk about doing something crazy, right? I could list all of the crazy things that I've done in my past, but I don't want there to be video evidence of me admitting to it. But you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the crazy things that you've done and the, and the, the railroad tracks that you hopped and all those kinds of different stories that you tell when you get your friends together. I, w- I was thinking recently about the craziest thing that I've done over the last few years, and it really shows how, the, how time shifts from when you're like 16 to now I'm almost 30. And the craziest thing that I've done in the last few years is that recently Whitney and I decided we didn't like her car, and so we went to the car dealership on a whim and bought a minivan, and we were like, man, this is crazy. And then we realized that that's what it means to be crazy at age 30, is to, <laughs> is to trade in your SUV for a minivan and feel adventurous. And so you know what I'm talking about, though, like when you've probably done something on a whim at least once in your life. I mean, it was, it was maybe it was something crazy like you quit a job when you were in high school or you, you went on a road trip with some friends or maybe you did something a little crazier on a whim. And just based on statistics, I think if I'm, if I'm doing my math correctly, at least one person in this room once got married on a whim. I don't know if that one lasted or not, but at least one person in this room one time got married on a whim. Or maybe you moved across country on a whim. Or maybe you did something that you never would have expected yourself to do, that people hear the story and they go, I don't believe that you did that. 
My favorite on a whim story of anything I've ever done without really thinking it through was the time I decided two weeks before July 5th that I was going to go to church camp with some, with some elementary school kids. I had just graduated college, I was working in youth ministry, and my summer plans had kind of blown up, and so I decided in June that I was going to go work at this, I randomly picked a week of camp from the date on the calendar, and I said, I'm going to go work at this week of camp at Camp Northward. And when I went to that week of camp, I met a girl who had just randomly also, two weeks before, decided that she was going to go to that week of camp, and she hasn't left me alone since. It has been six years, and Whitney does not stop calling me. That's not, you all laugh because you know it's not true, like, whatever, you wouldn't leave her alone. And so we've been married now for five years because we both, within hours of each other, unknowing to have ever met each other, decided we were going to go to church camp, and I can't tell you the name of any campers that week, I can't tell you much about what they learned, all I know is that Whitney Burbrick was there, and I was going to make her mine, and a year later we got married, mission accomplished, all because I did something on a whim. And so you probably have a story like that. You probably have a story about something crazy that you've done. But I I hesitate to say this, but I've already said it once, and I'm going to say it again. Somebody in this room is going to do something on a whim today that they had no idea they were about to do. You see, here's the thing. I believe every week that you are here on purpose, but there are some of you in this room today who I believe you are here on purpose for a purpose today. And you may very well have not suspected that you were going to do what you were about to do, but I believe there are people in this room today who are going to give their life to Jesus and who are going to be baptized. And I, and I hesitated to say that when I was writing this this week. I was like, maybe I don't need to say that. Maybe I need to try and like wait till the end to throw the knockout punch. But here's the deal. You're digging in right now because you know and you've thought it through and you almost didn't come today because you knew the topic. And you know how other people are going to react and you know the stories and the whispers that people are going to say. But in the bottom of your heart, in the mind of your mind, you know that you are here today because you're prepared to give your life to Jesus. And I know that sounds crazy. But all week we have been praying like mad for a long list of people that they would come today and that today would be the day that they decide, I am following Jesus today. And I think that might be you. Maybe for you it's a struggle because you, your parents had you baptized when you were a week or two old and, and the priest or the minister poured water over your head and your parents said at that moment, you're going to heaven, you're following Jesus. Or, or maybe for you, so you've always kind of felt like, you know, my parents did that for me. Or maybe for you, though, it's, it's a, a thing where you were seven, eight, nine, ten years old and your friend was getting baptized at church and you said, I, I'm going to do that too. And the minister dunked you and they said, do you know what just happened? And you said, I don't know. Maybe for you, that moment has never come because you said, I will when, I will if, and it just never seemed to materialize. And now here you are years, decades later, and you've never made the decision yourself to publicly say, I follow Jesus and I'm going to be baptized through him. Today's the day that it happens for you. And today's the day that you're going to, without even knowing you were going to, on a whim, Get baptized.
It's okay that you didn't bring clothes. We've got clothes for you to change into. I'm just getting in in this. It's okay that you didn't invite your friends. We'll take pictures. It's okay that you weren't ready. Today is the day. There's a story in, in the Bible that happens just like that, and it's one of my favorite stories to talk about because it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of, the, uh, with the rest of what's going on around it. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 8, if you want to turn your Bible there. But in the book of Acts, it's the book of Acts is the story of the history of the church. So Jesus comes and Jesus dies on the cross. He raises from, rises from the dead and, and he walks the earth for 40 days. At the end of those 40 days, Jesus goes back into heaven. And then Acts chapter 1 starts there. Acts chapter 1 starts with the history of the church. And the, one of the very first things that happens is 3,000 people join the church in one day. 3,000 people get baptized in one day, and then a couple hundred people, and it just keeps growing and growing, and the church is multiplying exponentially like crazy in the first couple of chapters of Acts. And then Acts, chapters, Acts chapter 8 comes, and all of a sudden, there's this little snippet of a story. And it's not the story of a couple hundred people. It's not the story of a dozen people. It's the story of one guy who, on a whim, realizes that what he's been looking for his whole life is Jesus. And this guy, his name is the Ethiopian eunuch. And he meets a man named Philip, but his meeting isn't a chance encounter. His meeting is on purpose. Because in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, an angel of the Lord says to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, I have to admit that we're kind of stepping on a landmine right here in the beginning when we start talking about angels appearing and people praying and spirits happening, right? Like, <laughs> where are the snakes coming out, dude? Like, stay away. So here, here's what I want to tell you really quickly before we get too far into that. In, I never say that God doesn't do something because he's God and he's all-powerful, so he does whatever he wants. But typically what we've found is that in Scripture, God approached people differently than he does today. The reason being, the people who were following Jesus in the first century didn't have the Bible to look to to see what God wanted them to do. We have the Bible that we can read and understand and, 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 and study. We also have what's called the Holy Spirit. Ah, see, I knew the weird stuff was coming. But like, here's the thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus living inside of us. And so the Holy Spirit is, is that urge, is that, is that connection that we get, that we feel, and that at times we're going, I don't know where that came from. That's the Holy Spirit. And so for Philip, it takes the form of him saying, you need to go this way to go south. So I want to caution you, though, because when I say that the urges you get are from the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean go home tonight and say, honey, I got an urge from the Holy Spirit it doesn't work that way, okay? Um, but I want you to know that the kind of things that the Holy Spirit prompts us to do are much different. That was not as funny as I thought it would be. <laughs> so, here's what you need to know. You know it's God prompting you if it's something that is good for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of you. It's God prompting you. It's the Holy Spirit nudging you. If you say, this is going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, it's going to, be, it's going to make people upset, but it's going to benefit the kingdom. God is not nudging you to buy a newer and bigger Cadillac. I can promise you that. God is not asking you to work longer hours and make more money so that you can have more stuff. That's not the Holy Spirit's prompting. 
The Holy Spirit's prompting is going to be the kind of thing that is good for the kingdom of God that spreads the gospel. And so this is what happens to Philip, and Philip goes. And he starts going south with no idea where he's going, with no idea why he's doing it. He just starts going on a whim. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So on his way from Jerusalem to Ethiopia is the Ethiopian eunuch. And this isn't just a normal Ethiopian man. This man is probably one of the richest, most powerful men in all of Ethiopia. He has a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of prestige. But you notice he was on his way back from Jerusalem. The, dry, the chariot ride that he was on is roughly a thousand miles from the center of Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And on a chariot, you can imagine that that would take several days, if not weeks. But why is he on this journey? He's on this journey because he's looking for something. He didn't go to Jerusalem to sightsee. He went to Jerusalem because he knew there were some religious people there who had found some answers, and he was trying to find some answers himself. He knew that he was searching for a truth, that he was longing for something bigger and better than what he was and what he found, and he knew that the power, he knew that the money, he knew that the stuff couldn't quite handle it. So he just drove to Jerusalem and said, maybe it's here. And while he was there in Jerusalem, he used a lot of money to buy a scroll of the book of Isaiah, which is a prophet who tells the promises of the Jesus who is coming. And on his way back, he's driving in this chariot and he's reading the book of Isaiah. And you need to know that in this day and age, people didn't read books quietly to themselves. He was holding the scroll, but he was also reading aloud what he was reading. So you didn't read, you never just read quietly to yourself. If you were reading, it was out loud. And it's at that moment that this chariot goes by and Philip sees it and he sees the guy reading the Bible out loud and the Spirit says to Philip, go over there to that chariot. And I want to stop right here. I want to stop right there because there are some of you in this room who I got to baptize there's some of you in this room who have been baptized before. There are some of you who were like, I don't have to listen today because I've been baptized. I'm good. I want to talk to you because I want to point out this little part of this story. Philip sees the guy searching. Philip sees the guy as longing for something, trying to find something. And within, inside of him, it says, go and see him. Go and talk to him. But here's where you can get a little nervous. Here's where it gets a little iffy. If Philip says, well, I don't know the Bible like my pastor does. Well, maybe I'll just pray for him. Maybe I'll just invite him to church. But that's not what he asked Philip to do. One of my, one of my favorite stories is from a preacher named Bob Russell. Him, and Bob um, grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania and, and was hired at a church of 100 people at age 23. And when he retired 40 years later, the church was running about 20,000 people. And so he kind of knew what he was doing. He was a pretty good preacher and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And he was visiting uh, one day, he was visiting at Ozark Christian College where they train preachers. And the, the preaching professor said, Bob, we love it when you come to Ozark. And he kind of puffed his chest up. Of course you do. You know, 
that's great. I'm glad to be glad. And he's like, why do you love it? Do the, do the kid, you know, and he's, he wants to know, what is it about it? And the professor says, well, it's not because your sermons are great, and it's not because you're all of that insightful. And he starts sinking a little bit in his chair. And the professor says, our kids meet you, and they know what you've done. And they say, if Bob can do it, surely I can do it. <laughs> and this is, this is the story for you and me. Is, is if Philip can just walk up to the chariot and say to this guy what he's about to say, then you and I can do it too. It's not about being able to say, well, the earth is exactly 6,000 years old and here's all the reasons we know why. It's not about being able to say, well, the Bible is 100% true and here's all the reasons we know why. It's not about being able to say, you know, sanctification, justification, glorification are all that you need to know about. Just real quick, let me read some books to you. All that Philip does here is so important, and I want you to catch it. And so Philip runs to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asks, do you know what you're reading? He goes to the guy, and he says, do you know what you're reading? Do you know what this means? And he says, I, I can see that you're hurting. I can see that you're searching. Can I help? And the eunuch says, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? Is this about himself or someone else? And the prophet and the eunuch ask such an important question. And he says, who is it that's going to die? Who is it that's, that's, that's going to be the one who's silent before, before his accusers? Who is it that's the one who's innocent, who's going to be led before the slaughter? And the eunuch looks at him and he says, I think this is the one I'm looking for. Who is he? And I can't help but wonder if maybe that's the question you're asking today. Maybe the question you're asking today is, is you're saying, I'm a little bit like the Ethiopian eunuch. I have some, some struggles. I have some questions. All I know is that I'm looking for something. Is Jesus what I'm looking for? And I'm here to tell you that the answer is yes. The answer is, Jesus is who you're looking for. And to my friends who have already found him, who are here today, I want to challenge you and I want to tell you that you know this as well, that the answer is yes. Jesus is who you're looking for. You don't have to break down any complicated Bible verses. You don't have to tell them anything crazy. All you have to do is what Philip does. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip said, there's a man who came who was innocent, but was killed. I always, I always when I've taught this passage in the past, I've said this jokingly, but part of me believes it's true, that this is the point when Philip pulls out a napkin and he starts writing on the table 
And what he starts writing looks something like this, and we've seen it before, but I will tell you about this until the day I die because there is nothing more important for you to see than for the, to see this picture. And Philip starts with this picture right here that it says, that first there was people, there was humanity, and there was God. And they were walking together. And God desired nothing more than to be with humanity. When God was with humanity, when we were walking together, life was good. Everything was perfect. Everything was great. And he said, the problem then comes when God gave us the free will to choose either that we follow him or the other side. And when we make that choice, there is a divide that comes. And this divide is so large that you nor I can cross it. No matter what we do, no matter what we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter how many good things we say, no matter how much money we put in the offering plate, no matter how many different ways we attempt, we cannot cross the divide. The worst part about the divide is that at the bottom of the divide, where we end up, is a place called hell. And if being with God is nothing but goodness, if being with God is nothing but his favor and love and, and, and roses and little baby angels playing harps on clouds, whatever heaven is to you, if being with God is nothing but that, then hell is the opposite of that because hell is the place where there is only misery. Hell is the place where there is only pain. Hell is the place where you fall down in a pit and can't ever get back out. Hell is a place where there is no love and no goodness. But God's desire wasn't for us to be stuck in the pit. God's desire was for us to be with him once again. And so God sent his son, Jesus, for one purpose and one purpose only, to go to the cross to die for you and for me. And there on that cross, he was led like a sheep to slaughter so that you and I can cross over and spend eternity with God. And so Philip finishes telling the eunuch something like that. And the eunuch's next question is, what do I need to do? And the first thing Philip tells the eunuch is, you have to believe. You have to believe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him doesn't die. Whoever believes in him doesn't end up in the pit. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. And then he said, the next thing you need to do is, is to repent. You need to turn around, repent then, and, say, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so you believe, and then you say, I want to be different. I want to change. And then you're baptized. And it says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love the response from the eunuch. Philip opens his mouth and preaches Jesus. That was a little bit of conjecture, I admit, but it sounded something like that. But as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. On a whim. The eunuch went home and said, you know, the craziest thing I ever did was go on a thousand-mile road trip to find an answer, and I found it on the side of the road. 
and it's Jesus. And so here's my challenge to you today. My challenge to you is for you to take that step. And I know, because I, I feel nervous, I know how scary that is. And I know what, what's going through your mind about who's not here or who is here. I know what's going through your mind about how good of a hair day you were having today, and now you want me to get wet. I, I know what's going through your mind about how you're not really prepared for this, but I want to tell you that today is that day. Today is the day that you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. And here's what's going to happen. Over the next few minutes, Faith's going to play, and we have two stations set up here for communion. And I'm going to invite all of you to come forward and to take a piece of the bread and to take the cup and take it back to your seat. And if you've already made the decision to be baptized, what I want you to be doing in those moments is first thanking God for the opportunity that you have to have, to have that moment and that you've been there. But then after that, I want you to say, God, there's someone in this room today. There's someone in my life who needs to know about you, and I pray that today is the day they find you. If that's you, if today is the day we're going to get baptized, and we've got clothes for you to change into, or you can just get in in your clothes right now, whatever, whatever it is, if that's the day, I'm going to be sitting right here and when everybody else is coming up and gathering communion, you just come sit right here, and we'll just talk for a second. And then we're going to go through those doors, and the screen's going to come up. And today's the day. We've got people who are prepared to come and take pictures so that if anybody's not here who you wish was here, they can see it. We promise you that today is the day that you've been longing for. So I, I challenge you to take your time over these next few minutes. I challenge you to think through what you're about to do. But when you're prepared, it's, it, it's, a, it's your chance to get up and to come forward and take a piece of the bread and take the cup and begin thinking about where is Jesus calling me? Is today the day that I make that commitment to him? Mm -hmm.